We started Dallas Church in 2007 here in Dallas. And our first few Sundays, actually the first year or so, we met at a little elementary school right down the road, Whitworth Elementary School. The, uh, maybe that's some of your alma mater, I don't know. We were there, and, uh, and we, got, we got launched. And I was uh, kind of new to like full-time pastoral ministry. I'd never been the guy, I guess. I've never been the preacher guy, the minister guy. It was new to me. And then people were calling me Pastor Ben. I thought it was the weirdest thing the first couple of years. Why are you calling me that? It seemed like, you know. But I, I was Pastor Ben, and I had to kind of learn the ropes of what it meant to, to, to be in that role. In fact, you might find this odd. Maybe not, actually, now that I think about it. I had never preached back-to-back weekends ever in my life before we planted Dallas Church in 2007. And it turns out, people expect you to say something every weekend. <laughs> that really caught up with me. But I'd never done it. And I was always been kind of the music guy. And so I had to learn what pastoral ministry was all about. And, and no, I didn't really have a lot of mentors showing me kind of the ropes. And so I, I dove in with both feet. And then I quickly realized there's a lot of, of, of people that need my time. There's a lot of people that have needs. Uh, and and I, was, I was going from thing to thing trying to sort of handle it all, try to, try to be all for everybody. And as you probably know, that isn't a good idea, but I was stretching my, myself super, super thin, and I, I couldn't be at everything, and, and, and my kids were younger, and, and, and it started to get to a, a breaking point the first couple years. You know, we're, we're trying to get this church off the ground, things going on, I'm still fundraising. It was, there was just a lot of pressure. And... And I, and I had a very wise person in my life pull me aside and say, you know, Ben, you, you, need, to, uh, you need to develop some, and he gave me the B word for the first time I'd ever heard it, you need to develop some boundaries. Boundaries, so that, you know, your, your kids don't hate you and grow up hating the church. You need to find some guardrails, some, some boundaries, you know, get some help, certainly, maybe for some other people, but you can't be all to everyone. And what was happening is I was running from thing to thing, and I felt like I had to be everything to everyone. If you wanted me to do this, I had to be, I had to, I, myself was being kind of lost in all the need. And so I had to, for the sake of my own health and for the sake of the church family, we may, we may not have never gotten to this point had I not started to develop something called boundaries. So what I'm talking about today is personal because I had to learn this in many ways the hard way. I had to learn boundaries. And we, we know boundaries are important. We see them all the time even though we don't call them that. Think of the next time you're taking a road trip and you're going over a mountain pass high up and you got you know a steep incline on either side. What do we have? We have guardrails, right? You go over a big bridge and they've got guardrails. Uh, we study biology and cells have a boundary. We call it a membrane. Boundaries, you're wearing clothes right now. That's a good thing. That's a boundary. Boundaries are everywhere. Your, your house has a door on it. It's a boundary, right? We see these everywhere, but for some reason, we don't quite apply it to us. Sometimes we look at boundaries and think, okay, that, that makes sense out there, but we too have limited time. We have limited resources. We have limited bandwidth. We have also a need for boundaries because we need limits. 
We, we need that or else we're going to be no good to anyone. We end up running from thing to thing and, and we kind of are ineffective at a lot of different things. Some of you uh, have been dealing with some of these boundary issues for a long time and these are important things for us to talk about, especially for Christ followers because these are the things that help us be healthy so that we can be helpful to other people. When we're not healthy, we're not any good to a lot of people. So there's a missional element to having healthy boundaries, right? There's a missional element. So we're in this series, Friending, right? Jeff always said we're, we're in week three of Friending. And uh, if you've missed any, these, these, these messengers are kind of building on one another. And, and my hope is, is that we, coming out of this craziest year and a half, or now two years, pandemic thing, people have been isolated way too long. And I really feel like the church has a great opportunity, not just our church, but the church as a whole has a great opportunity to be what Starbucks really could never accomplish and be that third place for people. You got work, you got home. The church can be a place of healthy friendships and, and, and a place where people can feel that there's healing and hope. And I believe that's why friending is such an important thing because we have sort of lost touch with relationships over this past year or so. I've heard it said many times that social distancing has turned into emotional distancing. And the thing is, we are wired for relationship. We are, it's, it's deep in us. It's in our DNA. Whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, or the combo, I heard recently, ambivert. Whichever category you fall into, you need relationships. And you know that's a key component of maturing in the faith in Christ relationships are a key component in discipleship. So we really want to lean in hard to friending and being good friends, and we want to do that from a healthy place. And that's why we're talking about what we're talking about today. God is calling us to foster healthy relationships for the sake of discipleship. I'm Pastor Ben. Glad you're here with us today, whether that be online, we see you, or here in person. We gather on Sundays, the first day of the week. It's a chance for all of us to Take that deep breath, hit that reset button. It's a brand new week. I don't know what week last week was for you, but this is a chance to reset. And why do we meet, Ben? Why do we meet on Sundays? Well, because about a couple thousand years ago, Jesus of Nazareth was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, taught many amazing things, healed and did amazing works, and then was killed on a Roman cross. And everybody thought all hope was lost. But then on the third day, on a Sunday, that tomb broke open. And he rose from the dead. And that tomb's been empty ever since. And we lift up the name of Jesus because that day changed human history forever. And so that's why we gather on Sundays, to lift up the name of Jesus. Week one in Friending, we talked about empathy. That empathy is where you feel what someone else feels. And we talked about how empathy fuels friendships. And then last week, we talked about living in a forgiving way. Living forgivingly was our title last week. And the idea there was we forgive and we give grace. And today, this message builds on those two because today is the seatbelt to those two weeks. Because if you're always feeling what everybody else feels, it's going to drain you. And if you're always forgiving and, and doing that, then sometimes people will take advantage of that grace. So that's why week three today becomes so important because we're talking about the seatbelt to protect your empathy and your forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We wouldn't be here without it, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus. He's rising from the dead, your son. And, and Father, we, we gather in his name to lift you high. 
And we want to be the best friends possible. We want to be healthy people that can love on people. You called us to love one another. Help us to be healthy enough to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's talk about Jesus. It's a good place to do that. Let's talk about Jesus. When you look at his life, and we, we get a lot of the testimony of his life from, from kind of four big books. And, and depending on if you grew up in church or, or you're familiar with church, you might call them the four gospels. I think a better term might be the biographies. They're sort of the four biographies of Jesus. And they start the New Testament. You know what they are. starts with uh, M, Matthew. Then it goes to another M, Mark. And then it goes to an L, Luke, and then J. John, those four biographies give us a snapshot into the, the life of the most amazing man on the planet. He was a God man. The scriptures tell us it was God put on flesh and walking among us. And in his life, we see a new way to be human. We see the best way to be human. Jesus, in his life, modeled for us what it means to be a healthy person. When Jesus was asked one time to sum up the entire scriptures... To, to, to kind of boil it all down to a summary statement, to a thesis, whatever. Boil it down to one statement. In Matthew 22, Jesus takes from Deuteronomy 6, Torah, people, okay. Deuteronomy 6, this is a nerd moment, and Leviticus 19.18. And what does he do? He summed it up by saying this. Basically, we call it the great command, right? Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Sum it all up. You know, the part that we really don't get right sometimes, or we don't even talk about, is that last statement. Because we're supposed to love our neighbor, and we know how to do that because we've done what? Love ourselves. I don't think I've ever heard sermons on that part. Because it kind of almost feels like, well, we shouldn't have self, we're not, no, it's about Jesus. Yes, I get that. But it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. That means you're loving yourself. You're a healthy person so that, if I were to sum it up, you're to love your neighbor. Now, we don't talk about that last part at all, do we? Love yourself. How do we love ourselves in a way that, so then we can help love our neighbors, right? That's, that's why we're talking about boundaries today. It's helping you be that healthy person. But we don't talk about it a whole lot. Jesus modeled what it meant to be healthy. Now, we know that he took care of his physical needs. He had lots of physical needs, right? He, he needed to eat, and uh, so he ate. In fact, I, I tend to think that the majority of Jesus' ministry, if he wasn't asking you questions, he was eating a meal. There's a lot of times in this, if you've read the, the biographies, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see a lot of meals. He went to festivals. He, went, he attended parties. His first miracle happened at a party. Do you remember what it was? Wedding at Cana. And what did he do at that party? <laughs> he made gallons of wine. He hung out with people. He walked everywhere. He got exercise. Okay, we'll talk about that. I mean, yes, I, I get it. They couldn't take an Uber. They had to walk. But the reality is he, he had physical needs and he slept. In fact, there were times that it annoyed his disciples when he would sleep. There's one particular time, you might remember it, where he falls asleep in the boat. It's been a long day, you know, and he's been talking and he's tired and he falls asleep in a boat and the water's got kind of crazy. Now, I've been on the ocean when it's been a little crazy. I'm not sure that I could sleep because I'm worried about dying. 
But Jesus slept. He ate food. You see, there was a normal, you know, can I just say it? He also had to use the restroom. I mean, can we admit that here here and now? We're all, many of us here, we, we can handle that. He had to go to the bathroom. You don't think about Jesus doing that, do you? Come on, come on, you don't. It just magically went away. He just never, anyway. But he had physical needs. He took care of those needs. And he had friends. Like right from the beginning, Jesus is asking people to come follow me. He's inviting people. In fact, I contend that that is a really key part of a church. We're people together hanging out. Following Jesus has always been a community thing, a group of people following Jesus. So he'd ask people to come with him. But then there were times, and these are the things that we don't often talk about either. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says that Jesus would often go to lonely places to pray. Not once in a while, not a to-do list checkoff. Regularly, he would go to lonely places and pray. And again, his disciples were sometimes annoyed by his pace of life. There were times it seems like they want him to go faster. Go, we're going big now. Let's go to the big cities. Let's do this. Jesus said, no, I want to go somewhere else. Look at Mark chapter 1. They're all excited about him going. Like, no, I want to go somewhere else. I mean, they were, getting, they were getting traction in one community, and Jesus would say, no, I'd rather go over here. And what are you going to do? Are you going to argue with God? No, you're not. Okay, we'll go that way. Not a great a town. Dallas is better. No. But he would, he, would, uh, he would tend to disappoint people sometimes by his, his pace of life. And yet, he never seems like he's in a hurry. Read the, read the four biographies. Show me a spot where he is stressed out. Well, there's one. When he's praying in the garden. He was pretty stressed out over that. Now again, I, I don't know, stress may be the wrong word for that, but he was concerned. He, in fact, he was asking God, hey, if there's any other way I can accomplish this salvation thing without that, be tremendous. But your will be done. Just a, a fascinating surrender there in the garden. But most of the, you never see Jesus in a hurry. And, and would you be so bold to say, well, I think he could have accomplished a little more if he would have, if he would have really applied himself. You know, why is he always going off to the mountain by himself, lonely places to pray? He could have, he could have accomplished so much more. He didn't even write a book. You know, never wrote a blog post. He never even posted a video. Jesus could have accomplished so much. You never hear anybody say that. He was never in a hurry. And we never say, oh, Jesus could have accomplished so much more. He had a pace of life. and He knew how to fill up his tank. You ever heard that term? You fill up your tank. You know what that means? Like, kind of like, what are those things that kind of are life-giving? You know, you, you go through work and you got stuff going on, but what are those things, whether it be traveling somewhere or sitting on a beach, staring at the sand and the water, uh, taking a hike up in nature? I don't know what it is for you, but there are things that, that fill your tank up, that help you really kind of reset your life. What are those things in your life? Jesus tended to know what those things were. He would, he would be off by himself, or he would make sure he had that, that healthy meal with his friends, or made sure he celebrated with people. There, set, there, there tended to be a pace of life that Jesus models for us that shows what a healthy human looks like. A human that could take a break, that could take a rest, that could be with people, that could be alone, that w- was not trying to fill life up with every to-do list. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. He didn't feed everybody. There were towns that didn't get to see him. Now, there were several towns around there. He didn't go to everyone. 
he had an intentionality with living his life with margin. You know what margin is? In the advertising world, margin it could be akin to white space. You ever heard of the term white space? It's this idea that if you fill, uh, you know, whether it be an advertisement or a book or whatever, with all these words and letters, it kind of gets confusing and jumbled up. But if you have a couple of words and then lots of space around it, now you can see the words. When you apply this to life, how well are you with margin? Do you have everything just lined up all the time and you've got to have a hundred things you've got to do every day or do you have some margin in your life? Kind of like when you got a book, right? There's space around. There's not a lot of margin in this book, but where you could write notes and things like that. I, I, uh, I read a lot and um, I know there are people that when they read, they like to mark up their books and I think they're weird. I'm kidding. If you mark up your book, it's good. But that's what the margins are for sometimes, right? Well, we can live our life with margin or without margin. If we're living without margin, we're going to burn out quickly. Because we need some breathing room. We need some space in there. Jesus understood how to live with margin, how to walk away. He said, now, the thing is, with Jesus, he loved people, but he also said hard things. There were times that he had to stop stuff that was just wrong. There are times that he, he used, even the way he spoke to people, uh, he, he would speak the truth, but he would do it with love, but he would still be firm about it. I, I think of that one moment where Jesus goes to the temple, uh, kind of an important point in Jewish worship there in Jerusalem, and he's noticing that they've sort of turned it into a marketplace where you can get a good deal on this thing or that, and they're selling wares and selling, exchanging money, and people are making money, and he's like, what are you doing? And it, he had to, that was a hard no for Jesus. You ever heard that term, a hard no? That was a hard no. In fact, one of the, the accounts of that moment, there's like two moments like that in the biographies. At one point, he's making a weapon before he goes in. That's a hard no. Sometimes Jesus had to do a hard no. So we get a really great modeling of what it means. And Jesus was present in the moment. That, that why he, he, he would say yes, and he would be present in that moment. He could, he could be interrupted at times. Other times he was pretty resolute. I got a mission to do. There was one point where I think his disciples were trying to, to deter him. He's like, no, I'm heading to Jerusalem. Sometimes he, he, he had to say no to certain things so that he could stay on mission. He was always on mission even when he set boundaries and got rest and pulled away from people and met with people. He had, he had boundaries. And I think there are four kind of key things about the way Jesus set boundaries that I think are helpful for us. First of all, he accepted his limits, that he had, he had personal limits, he had ethical limits, he had emotional limits, physical limits. Now, he, he was God, but God put on flesh, and, and that, that meant he had to learn what it was like for us to, to be tempted and to have opportunities and too many opportunities for us to say yes to everything. He had to learn that, so he learned and accepted those, those limits. He knew that he couldn't be everywhere like he was used to be, right? He had to, we had to go to Jerusalem. That's where we're going. So he, he accepted his limits. He said no to inappropriate behavior. We see Jesus as loving, but he also was willing to say no when something wasn't right. And that's, we'll come back to that word, but no is really important, especially when something inappropriate is happening. It was a hard no. And so he, he learned that that was a boundary as well. Sometimes if you're, if you're just so every easygoing, they even say this in leadership. Leadership isn't always the, the big stuff you put on the, the page, the bullet points. 
Leadership is also what you allow. And there were times where Jesus did not allow certain things. It was a hard no. So he, he accepted his personal limits. He said no to inappropriate behavior. He spoke the truth in love to people who were either stuck or just wrong. He would, he would speak the truth in love. The guy that had all the money came running up to Jesus. All right, Jesus, what must I do to, to have all eternal life? And Jesus said, well, he, how are you doing with the commandments? And the guy said, oh, I'm pretty good with that. He's like, he looked at him, said, well, there's one thing. You need to go sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and then do what? Gave him, gave him a, three, a three-pronged answer there. Sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the guy went away pretty sad. So Jesus tended to tell people the truth, but do it in love. Like this, this money got your heart, and if you let that one go, life's going to be better for you. It was, hard, it was a hard teaching. And finally, Jesus required clarity from people and for them to own what they need. This is really, really important when we're talking about boundaries. What do you need? Because it makes people really think through, am I, am I just you know, throwing this out there, or do I actually need this? In fact, the early church, as it expanded, it would say that they took care of each other as they had need. Well, you, you can't know a need until you really qualify it, right? So Jesus tended to ask people, even people who visibly you could tell needed eyesight or needed a fix on something, Jesus would still stop and ask them, what do you want? Even in a situation where we would think it was obvious what they wanted, Jesus didn't see it that way. He really wanted you to own what you needed. So this is how Jesus sort of modeled those boundaries. He didn't just go with the flow, do whatever people expected him to do, say whatever they expected him to say. He had resolution. He had a mission. And yet, people look at him as loving and and kind. And yes, that's all true, but he also had boundaries. See, this is a model for us as we lean into boundaries. In fact, John, one of his close friends, wrote the the book of John in in, in John chapter 2, verse 24 he says something interesting about Jesus. He said, but, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, as the people around the crowds, because he knew all people. There was a sense where Jesus made sure that he wasn't just going to go with the flow, do whatever people wanted. In fact, remember that religious leaders were really kind of hoping he was going to be a military leader and kick Rome out. He didn't do just what people were asking him to do. He wasn't the Messiah that they'd all thought they needed. But he was exactly the Messiah that we needed. But he knew the hearts of people and that sometimes they would be fickle and move them this way and that. And if we're always saying yes and always going with the flow, we just not only lost who we are, who God created us to be, but now we're going down roads we probably never would have gone down. Boundaries are important. You know, Proverbs even speaks to boundaries. I don't even, you may have never seen these, but I want to show you a couple of them. There's more than this, so I encourage you to read Proverbs. It's a great, a great book to read. But Proverbs, this collection speaks of boundaries. Proverbs 25, 17. Maybe you've seen this before. Let, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have, have his fill of you and hate you. Have you, have you heard this one? <laughs> it's kind of harsh, you know. But what's, what's, what's the idea here? If you, if you like... Oh, he's kind of rushing into the door and, hey, what's going on, neighbor? And grab whatever's in the fridge. 
you might be you know, violating certainly privacy, uh, and I think you need to respect people's property. Doesn't mean you never go to your neighbor's house. That would be the extreme. That's a boundary too high. But it also means you don't just smash the boundary and do whatever you want and not respect their home, not respect their family. Yeah, respecting space is on. And Proverbs 26.4, this is a big one for probably the time that we're at right now. If, if anything, this is a big one. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Think of the things this could apply to. Certainly, I can't ignore the fact that social media has been an interesting thing this last couple years. And too often, I think, people feel the need to respond to everything. I don't know about you, but there's so much material out there, research, and I can't keep up on it all. And here's Proverbs kind of giving us a hint that maybe you don't need to weigh in on everything. Maybe you don't need to, because you may not know if, if someone's weighing in, if it's true or not. You could be jumping in on someone's folly and not even realizing it, right? Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. So this is, a, this is a boundary, right? There's times where we enter into a dialogue where it makes sense, the good time. and You know, it's, it's almost like learning in, in relationships or even in marriage that you can, you can even be right and be wrong. You can win an argument and lose relationship. And so we have to discern that a little bit. That's a boundary, learning when we weigh in on something and when we, okay, well, this person you know, has, has kind of proven they're not maybe trustworthy, but I'm going to jump in anyway. That's what this passage is talking about. Be careful what you're weighing in on, who you hang out with, who you interact with. These, are, these, these matter. I think another passage in Proverbs says, you know, if you want to be wise, you walk with the wise, and iron sharpens iron, these things. What, what we associate with, what we interact with, what we're tossing back and forth, it's, it's important for us to be intentional, be careful. A boundary is a dividing line, isn't it? A boundary is like a dividing line. This is, this is my, my property here, and when you, you go over here, this is, this is your property. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a dividing line. It's a space between. It's respectful, right? It's respectful. I think of it in terms of, as far as following Jesus, I think boundaries are, 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 are in that camp of self-control. You know, through the Spirit, right? Let's see if I can get them all. First service, I missed one. I know I did. Love, come on. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What did I miss? Goodness. Always miss goodness. I'm not very good. Is there nine? Is that how many there are? Okay. Some of you are like, I can't believe he doesn't know that. He's our preacher and he doesn't even know. But isn't it interesting self-control is in that list, right? Self-control is in the list of fruit. Boundaries fall in the camp of self-control. Knowing, again, when to speak, when not to speak. Knowing when to say no, knowing when to say yes. That takes some self-discipline. That takes a bit of self-control. And, and boundaries, like I said, they can be healthy and unhealthy. Because you know, if, if, if your boundaries are too rigid, then you're like inaccessible and you're isolated and that's not healthy. Uh, and you're always saying no to everything, even good stuff. But if, you, if, you, if your boundaries are too low or too, too soft, then again, you get taken advantage of sometimes. You, you burn out. You're not good. You're not a healthy person to help someone else. Does that make sense? Sometimes uh, that, that requires some self-control, some, some discipline. Boundaries help keep us safe. 
they help us take responsibility for our lives. Boundaries also help other people take responsibility for their lives when it's working right. And boundaries can keep us from destructive behavior. They really can. So boundaries, my, my point is boundaries are a good thing. Jesus modeled those boundaries. And I realize we're now at a point where technology has made this really, really more difficult. Because we carry these devices with us everywhere we go. That means we're always available, the phone's always there, and even work can hit us at night or when the weekends or when we're on vacation. Technology has made boundaries a little harder, haven't they? Haven't technologies made it just a little bit harder? So I would, I would encourage you in that to realize or at least learn how to shut your device off. Learn how to shut the power off. Now, I realize, you know, unplugging, okay, yeah, Ben, fine, whatever, but I'm really important. And I need my phone and my device all the time, Ben. So I can't be, I got to have my little thing in my ear. Ben, I, I can't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that important. I need to have it on all the time. Okay, well, learn something else then. Shut off notifications. You ever heard of that? What's a notification? Ding, there's a text. Ding, there's something on Facebook. Ding, there's whatever your health app says. You only got like 9,999 steps. You need to get that one more step or else you're not going to be able to go to bed. These notifications will bombard you. And they're interruptions and they're not healthy. Shut them off. I would say do it now. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what device you have. But shut notifications off. Technology has made boundaries harder. But you need them to be healthy. If we're going to obey Jesus' command to love one another, we've got to be able to we got to be healthy people to do that. Not perfect people, but we need to operate from a place of health. That's where boundaries come in. Self-control is our area. Let me read this article that I read uh, not too long ago. It says this, A person with healthy boundaries takes responsibility for his own life and allows others to live theirs. We should be available for people in a crisis, but unavailable to indulgent demands. Be gracious. Being gracious is not a blank check for others to continually drain our emotional account. Saying yes out of fear of rejection, is really a selfish motive for being kind. Being kind in order to gain someone's uh, favor smacks of hypocrisy and shows a need for some boundaries. Being Christ-like means we can say no in unselfish, helpful ways. And let me end with this one. Sometimes love requires us to say no to those we love. Let me say that one more time. Some of you are like, I don't know. This is hard, I know. In church life, family life, it, these boundaries can get really blurry. So look, sometimes love requires us to say no even to those we love. Let that sit out there for a bit. And we're just going, ah. That was a truth bomb, y'all. Sometimes we've got to say no to even the people that we love. Boundaries in, in healthy relationships help us be the best us. It helps us to honor that command, to love thy neighbor as we love ourselves. We are healthy people that can help people. So yes, I get that, that there's a tension here. There's a tension between having healthy enough boundaries, but not too rigid boundaries, right? There's a tension to manage. And you're going to have to pray about that. You're going to have to get some help probably from family members, people like that, to help you develop healthy boundaries. Because look, we have limited time, limited resources, and we have uh, lots of needs around us. 
There's lots of relationships out there. And having healthy boundaries keeps us in a place that we can actually do what Jesus said, is to love one another. So here we go. I've got a, a couple of pro tips that I want to share with you because, because of all the limits that we have. Here's a couple of things that I know have helped me, and maybe they can help you too. Take one or two of them. Take all of them. If you want to write these down, feel free to do so. The first one is this. Time with Jesus always comes first. That's where it starts. Things start unraveling for me. It's generally when I'm not spending time with Jesus. Okay? I realize I'm a preacher and I just said that. Okay? I hope that didn't ruin your view of me. But I've got to spend time with Jesus. It's a big part of my week. If I'm not on page with him, then the rest of this doesn't work. So time with Jesus is a key boundary that you protect. Protect your time with Jesus. Prayer, scripture, memory, listen to Christian music, those can all be very, very helpful. Number two is make rest happen. Sometimes you have to be intentional about rest. I've heard it said from several resources now that 70% of discipleship could be summed up in a good night's rest. Think of how many bad decisions you've made when you're tired. Come on. Make rest happen. And that means not only just at night you're resting and shutting devices off. Have I said that already? So nightly rest is good, but also Sabbath rest. What day do you take off that is off? You do no regular work. Do you have it in your year where you have some time away? Maybe even some retreat time with Jesus where you're going to a mountain for a while for a weekend or something. So make rest happen. Here's the third thing. And this might be, this is getting hard. Be direct with people with how you feel. It got quiet in here. How well are you at that? I mean, think of the times when you have agreed to something that you did not want to do. Now, I realize that there are going to be times, right? Okay, <laughs> kids in here are going, well, I don't want to clean my room. So that, that's not what I'm talking about. There t- sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do, right? Clean and that sort of thing. And take a shower regularly. I know that's, my, that's a hard one for me. But um, we have to do things we don't want to do. But sometimes we are not honest with how we feel. What did you think of the meal tonight? Every guy in this room. Girl, because there's some guys that are awesome cooks too. Right? You, that other person says, how, how did the meal go? How did you, would you like it? And out of love, what do you say? Of course. I have learned a phrase that wasn't my favorite. You may steal that if you want. That can also help when your kids or grandkids are opening gifts in a very public family gathering and they're opening a gift that they really don't want. And they're smiling, right? How honest are you with how you feel? Here's the fourth one. This is is getting harder too. This is important though. For negative, overly needy, or toxic people, be loving but firm. And you may be thinking of a person right now in your life that may have that category. You need to be loving, yes, but firm. And that means you may limit your time with that person, right? Because the last thing you want to do is portray that you love someone when deep down you don't. That is insincere. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. And if you're always saying yes to everything, you're saying no to a lot of good stuff too. You've got to realize it's a two-way street. So how good are you at being direct with people? How good are you at making sure you're loving but firm for for those who are negative, 
in your life. And number five, and this is so important, you are not obligated to say yes. And you're not obligated to fix people or their problems. As far as I know, God has to do that sort of thing. That's a God-sized thing. Fixing people. I mean, if you've ever been to Celebrate Recovery or Alcoholics Anonymous, it's kind of one of those mantras. We can help, but we cannot fix. You are not obligated to say yes, and you're not obligated to fix people or problems. As far as I can tell, that's a Jesus-sized thing. That makes sense? I know some of you are like, oh, I don't know about this. So, right, prioritizing Jesus, we're going to protect that boundary. We're going to get, make rest happen. We are going to be direct with people on how we feel. Again, with, with reason, like, there's, a, there's a rudeness factor too, and a right time and a wrong time, okay? But be direct with people. It, stop lying to people, right? That's not fair either, right? So be direct. Uh, for negative and overly needy people, we need to make sure we ha- have a healthy boundary there with, with uh, love but also firmness there. And finally, you're not obligated to say yes or to fix people's problems. You can't really do that. That's a Jesus-sized thing. So let me just give you one more thing, and then I'm going to close. That, that we, we need to learn this word. It's a, it's a, it's a two-letter word, and uh, it starts with an N. It ends with an O. Maybe you're familiar with it. No. We need to learn the art of the healthy no. There are times where the answer is no. Now, as parents and grandparents, this is a word we, we, we learn, and, and it's part of our... <laughs> DNA to say, no, don't touch that, don't do this. But in life as adults, sometimes we forget the power of no. And sometimes we need to re-respect the no. Avoid, see what happens is, we, we jump into the weird trap of codependency if we're always feeling like we got to say yes to everything. That's codependency. Where, you gotta, where you're so worried about what people are thinking all the time that you, you lose yourself. You're just saying yes to everything and you kind of lose that, this is me and this is you issue. So you can jump in very carefully, and this is a, over time, and I know it's hard in family and church, but you don't want to be in that codependency space. So learn to say no. You need to be you. You need to be who God created you, not what everybody else expects or what everybody else thinks. You, you serve an audience of one. So who are you to God? That's, that's important. You can only own what is yours to own. Did you know that? You can only own what's yours to own. You can't own someone else's mess you got a big enough mess on your own. You can't own their mess. you got a, you got your own mess to own. You can only own what is yours to own. And a, and, a, and a no gives you that sacred pause. When you're asked to do something or be there or do this or go to this another meeting or whatever, a sacred pause can allow you to say, is that really something that I need to do, that I should do? Do I want to do that? We, we can ask those questions. It's okay. Take the pause is it really something that I need to say yes to? Because maybe, maybe more often you need to say no. I think, I think as Christ followers, we can be the best friends ever. We can operate from a place of health and to really love people. And we can be loving, but we can be firm. And we can also help make sure that they respect their own boundaries. We see someone kind of violating their own boundaries. And hey, maybe you need to say no to that. Maybe you need to you know, get some rest here. We can help people. We can be the best friends ever. I think. And and here's why. We can love, but with sincerity and honesty. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, that the world may know that you're my disciples if if you love one another. And to love one another well, we need to do it with honesty and sincerity. So that when you hear me say, I love you, you need to know that's true. That That I'm just playing around. Be honest with how you really feel. 
love, but with honesty and sincerity. Right? I already mentioned Romans 12, 9. Maybe you need to remember. Put this in your Bible verse thing. Love must be, it's an S word, sincere. This week, when you say yes, or when you tell someone something, is it true? Are you being real with what you really feel? And are you being sincere when you say I love you? Because I want each of us, when people hear us say a yes or a no, people know we're, they're going to get us. If we say yes, we're going to be there with them. We're present. We're ready to go. We're not like lamenting every second we got to be there. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Who said that? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Wasn't my words. In Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And don't apologize for it. Don't apologize for it. When you're, when you're setting good boundaries, it's a healthy thing so that you can be healthy to love one another. Right? Love, but with honesty and sincerity. You, you deserve this. Learn the art of the no, because you can't say yes if you cannot say no. Right? You can't say yes to something if you feel like you can't say no. I want to share one resource that I want to pray with you. I'm not promoting the book. I'm not getting a percentage. But there's a little library that we kind of started, the staff did, Andrew and Stephanie kind of set it up, where it's right there in the hallway by the, the restrooms back there. It's a bookshelf that has books that it shaped us uh, as staff, uh, books that have really been helpful for us in our journey. And one of those for me is this book, Boundaries, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And if you've never read it, I highly recommend you read it. It's not like reading a novel, you know, but it's a book that I think will help you develop healthy friendships, healthy boundaries, so that you can love like Jesus asked us to love. So I encourage you to check that out. You can see the rest of the books back there on that. But uh, let's lean in now and, uh, and ask God to help this sit and to really shape us this week. Father, we come before you. We thank you that you model for us in your son Jesus the best way to be human, the true way to be human. That, that Father, you live with margin and boundaries. And, Father, that's a, that's a great example for us in our relationships with people. That, Father, you'd help us to be loving but firm. Father, that we would do things with our eyes wide open. That when we say yes, we really mean yes. That, Father, you would help us to, to have healthy boundaries, to love, but to do it with sincerity and with honesty. Father, help us to do that this week as we serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.